Welcome to AASHTO Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials, testing, and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to AASHTO Resource Q&A. I'm Brian Johnson. And I'm Kim Swanson. What are we talking about today, Brian? Well, today I'm going to tell you who the best labs and who the worst labs are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're, we're actually going to talk about why I can't do that. Today we're going to talk about the Ashto Resource Confidentiality Policy. And this is a relatively new public-facing policy. Recently we posted this policy on our document library on our website under ReUniversity. If you are at your computer right now, you could find it. It is the policy on confidentiality. And I will post a link in the show notes to this specific policy as well, if you don't want to have to find it anywhere. We posted this, even though we've been following it, an internal policy for as long as I can remember, but we hadn't publicized it. We decided to do that because it seemed like a, a, a good way to show transparency and a good way for our customers and specifying agencies to understand what the limitations are for what we can say and what we can't say and what conditions might prompt us to not follow our policy. I think it covers a lot of different scenarios. What do we need to know first before we dive into the weeds in this? We ended up organizing it according to website access. Uh, when, when we started writing it, we were thinking about what individuals can see, what types of customers we have. But then as I was writing, this concept was emerging uh, as to, oh, well, we actually have this organized and, and controlled on our website. So that seems like that has to be explained too. So then instead of just saying customers can see this, it's like, well, which kind of customers? We ended up organizing it according to website access and explaining what is available and what is not available. And it kind of follows that we communicate even outside of the website the same way. So if the website only gives access to certain information, that's really all we can talk about as well or or answer via email or however we communicate with you we would limit it to basically the same rules it's kind of odd how it evolved and if you just look at it on on the surface you'd say well this is strange that it's organized this way but that that's why it is the basic public access that seems to be the most high level access that we have for our website and in general communications as well. So how do we define public access to information in this context? Yeah, so public access is just if you have no login to our website. So you're just anybody who goes to ashtoresource.org and looks around at what is available. So one thing you'll be able to see is the directory of accredited labs. And there's some information there specific to the laboratory, including some contact information, locations, accreditation, information like what are they accredited for if there's a suspension that would be listed as well you can download their certificate of accreditation and you can see a lot of things that are just policies and procedures i don't think we got into that though about general information because it's not really relevant to any any level of privilege of information i do want to note as well like is that it says laboratory provided contact information so that's an important distinction we're not saying as ashto resource 
that this is the person to contact if you are are interested in using their services. That's just who they provided um, as a contact. So I think that's kind of an important distinction to make that that contact information, if something's wrong or something's missing, you can let us know, but that was really laboratory provided. That is not information that we compiled to then present to the public. Yeah, that's a good point. We do have links to the la- uh, the laboratory websites, and that's where you would probably want to find the actual contact information for the individual location that you're looking for. There is also another wrinkle to the public access that is, I guess it's somewhat related, but I don't think we really addressed it in this policy, is the false claims of accreditation. But we do have a page that lists that, and we do have links to the uh, laboratory's website that's making the false claim, but obviously you won't find them on the directory in some cases because they're making a false claim even though they're not accredited. So, <laughs> so if you're looking at like why aren't they on the directory? Well, that's because they're not accredited, uh, or it could be just a clarification. Sometimes we have clarifications of you know this this company says that all locations are accredited, but only this location is accredited. So you'd be able to find that specific location, but not the others. Yeah, and just as a side note, at the time of the recording of this episode, we do actually have a laboratory listed on our false claims of accreditation page. So if you didn't even know that was a thing, maybe go check that out, especially if you are a project owner that is specifying uh, our services. It's important to kind of check that out periodically. So just a, a plug for that. That's a good point. I don't even know if we've ever covered that in one of these podcast episodes. Maybe, I don't know. We've done a lot of episodes, so now they're all blending together and I'm not <laughs> sure what was actually a conversation that we had uh, or if we recorded the conversation. So, yeah. It could be buried in an FAQ episode, too, because a lot of stuff gets covered in those. It seems familiar that we've talked about this, but again, I don't know if that's a recorded conversation mm-hmm. or not. <laughs> so that's the that's your basic non-logged in uh, public access view. Uh, Let's get into laboratory access. So if you're a laboratory, uh, you are a registered customer, you have a login. The login permits you to see a lot more information, obviously, about your laboratory, but not other laboratories. For your laboratory, you can manage your contacts. So, you know, shipping, billing, primary, secondary, corporate, whatever they are, billing information, corrective actions, proficiency sample ratings, uh, reports, all sorts of information. That is past, present, and future information regarding that. So you can see old historic information about the laboratory, um, all the things that you just said, and proficiency samples and reports. You can see the historic view of that. I'm not sure how long we keep all of that information. I think it's indefinitely. Since we started the website, website, basically. Okay. So then we have all of that. And then you have what you're currently do. Laboratories have access to like the current things that they're working on. And then they can also see when, if they've requested future services from us, like a future assessment or things like that, if they put a request in. So they can see it for all of that, if it wasn't clear, which maybe as I'm explaining it, it seems like it was quite obvious, but I'm not sure. No, I was wondering how our website tells the future, though. So I'm glad you explained that (laughs) as you were getting into the future part. I was on the edge of my seat figuring out how we're telling the future. Oh, you didn't know. There's a little there's a little button there. Sorry, you don't you haven't switched that button on much more powerful than I had anticipated. Yes. If you find that button on our website, you win the prize of knowing the future. (laughs) Beyond that, we also have a corporate access. Well, before we go to Did corporate access. 
I want to go back to laboratory access a little bit and kind of define a couple different things for that. How does CCRL's inspection and its proficiency sample ratings kind of play into that? Because I know that's part of the accreditation information. We have part of that information for laboratory access, but can you explain more what is included, what's not included in that and why? So yeah, we do have some CCRL information. You cannot access your CCRL proficiency sample results through our website, and you cannot access your CCRL report in a PDF form on our website, but you can access the individual nonconformities and submit your corrective actions through our accreditation events page of the website for those nonconformities noted in the CCRL report. We had to remove the access to the CCRL report just to mitigate risk that the wrong report was not accessed through our website. So we found that that was a a risk that we really didn't want to have on our (laughs) list of risks that we're taking on. Uh, So we said, okay, well, if somebody wants to access their CCRL report, they're going to have to go through their CCRL login on CCRL.us to get that information. And they really should anyway to get that and their proficiency sample results. For our listeners, it's a manual process currently of uploading the CCRL information. If your laboratory participates in CCRL programs as well, it's a manual process. So that does involve a lot more risk and human error options or chances for human error, I should say, on that and that part. As you're still talking about laboratory access, I did want to go into who has access at the laboratory. Who has, is it one login per user? What's the situation there? Yeah, currently we have one login per account. So if you are, like most people, wishing to have multiple people with logins to your laboratory's account, what you have to do is make a shared login because we only have access for one right now. One of the things that we realize is that that's not really what people want. Uh, So when we develop a new system, it's going to have access for multiple users to be able to log in. But I will say, Even with one, we find that our customers don't manage that one account very actively. So sometimes we'll look into changes in personnel issues, and we'll find that the login is registered to somebody who has not worked there in several iterations of people who have held that position. And they just didn't know how to change it or didn't want to bother with it, which people were more active in in managing those logins. Yeah, and I also want to point out another little caveat about login access. It's whoever you decide at the laboratory, right? It's not our decision who has that login information, who's the primary account holder. That is a laboratory decision. I will say we do have a little caveat in laboratory access, and it's regarding the billing contact. And we will send the billing contact listed. um, And again, that is laboratory-provided information. We will send them invoicing and things like that without a login needed. So the billing contact will get information that doesn't, and they don't need to be logged in to access that. So I did want to point out that little caveat regarding laboratory access. Yeah. Now, even though there's only one person with login access, you can't have multiple contacts. So 
one thing that people use we have primary and secondary contact and those contacts receive emails on any accreditation proficiency sample issues whatever those issues might be that are relevant to accreditation both the primary and secondary contacts do receive those notifications uh, and some people will set up a, a distribution email list like you know ashto notifications at whatever the company name is.com and then they have it set up through their server to to kick those emails to you know a group of people that they want to receive those that that usually works pretty well uh, when you're only limited to a primary and secondary and we do have listed contacts uh, for your proficiency sample enrollments and shipping contact and other things but for the most part and they will receive some information regarding notifications of when samples are sent and shipped and things like that and not necessarily specific data and information regarding that specific laboratory if i'm correct in that i'm i i'm not 100 percent as i was saying that yeah proficiency sample you know shipping contacts get relevant shipping information and proficiency sample contacts get relevant you know dates you know mm -hmm. emails about dates re but, relevant to proficiency samples yeah but not actually any data that the laboratory anything that would be confidential or not public access. That is correct. The proficiency sample contact does not receive data from the proficiency samples. They would receive links that they would have to then log in with to access anything. If yeah, there so was anything like that at all, it would yes. still be required to log in to access that information. I'm glad we talked this through as we were recording. But yeah, yep. no, I think that 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 sounds right. <laughs> We're good. I think that covers most of the laboratory access, right? That's all the important it, it, highlights. It does. There, there, are, there are little offshoots of of who the laboratory is, right? So you've got your your account login, and then you've got corporate people sometimes, or o overarching managers who are able to access information about that laboratory or ask questions of us about that laboratory. I think this is more handled by communication with people so like if you are a corporate manager or a branch manager or re, you know regional manager over multiple branches and we know who you are and we know the relationship you already have with those specific laboratories then we can give you information about you know if you're saying hey i need to follow up to make sure that they're set to you know they submitted their request form so that we're going to get our assessment this tour well, if we already know that you are a person who can get that information, then we can give that to you. Uh, if you are just a random person calling, we have no idea who you are, you say that you are the whatever regional manager, then we would say, okay, well, we need to hear from your, your the laboratory before we can give you that kind of information. Um, but there are some people that they've just been in the program a long time. They're, they're a known corporate manager, and we do give that kind of information to people like that. So another type of access that we've identified in the policy is non-registered company personnel. Can It's a very short section of the policy, but can you explain that for our listeners, Brian? Yeah, this can be really tricky because sometimes people reach out to us and they'll ask very specific information about a laboratory situation. And we don't have any record that they work there. They're not unknown. They're not on the org chart. The last one we have, they're not a primary, secondary contact. They may even have uh, like a Gmail 
email address that they're reaching out to us and they'll say, hey, I need information about this per certain situation. Well, we'll say, no, we can't provide that to you or we won't respond until we confirm that that actually is accurate. Like this, this happened not too long ago where we had a person contact us and said, I am a new hire manager at this company uh, and I need to set up access. And they contacted us with an email account that was not familiar to us. And we're like, this seems like either a phishing scam or maybe some competitors trying to get information. So what we did is we reached out to that laboratory and verified this person's story before we communicated with them. So one statement we have is author authorization can be obtained through correspondence with laboratory contacts. That's what I just described is that if we if we don't know anything about the person, we need to confirm that before we can give them any information. And that kind of segues into the next one as well. I had no follow-up questions for that, but we have also listed consultant access. So what kind of information can we give consultants? Well, I don't want to go too deep into the consultant topic, but I do, I do want to mention that sometimes laboratories will hire a consultant to help them with certain aspects of managing their quality management system. Uh, sometimes they don't really know how to write corrective actions properly, or they need help organizing certain things or scheduling certain things to learn how to, to maintain accreditation. Uh, so they'll hire someone to kind of help, help shepherd them through that process. And they can do that to a point. And it's not well defined, but because it really depends on what we're seeing. So if we're seeing a situation where the consultant appears to be doing everything, well, then there's a question as to what exactly are we accrediting at this point? Uh, are we accrediting a consultant who's helping them or are we accrediting the laboratory? So if we have a question like that, we're probably going to say you need to change this relationship or we can't really accredit you. But the consultant can get access to information on the website, just like the registered user would have. But what we need to do is get a release form from the laboratory that says that basically we give this consultant access to everything until we say otherwise. So we actually have a form that we provide the laboratory with that says that we can communicate freely with this consultant. Now, does the consultant have their own login or do they have to have the shared login? They would have I'm, to use the shared login or whatever that login is for the lab. But I mean, as far as communicating like with us, yes, we would need to be able to have that release form to provide information to them. Gotcha. That's kind of where I was getting at because there is not a separate login for consultants of anything. So they can, if, they, if your consultant only needs to access what like doesn't need to talk to us and only needs to access what's available when you log in, you don't have to fill out that form necessarily. But if you want them to have any conversation with us, then they need to fill out that form and follow those procedures. So then we cannot have those conversations. That's right. And and we wouldn't really know if so. We don't know who's sending it in, honestly, because they log in with one account. Mm -hmm. All we see is that it's been logged in with that account. We don't exactly know who is uploading because sometimes people have an administrative person mm -hmm. upload things for them, even though they have to do their, you know, take their own corrective actions and describe what happened. But yeah, I mean, ultimately we couldn't know, just like we wouldn't know who's accessing your accounts mm -hmm. uh, for whatever it is, if you're using that login. So that's why it's important to make sure only 
appropriate people know your login information in, yep. in that way. Now, the next type of access we have defined in this policy is specifier access. Yeah, specifier access is is a little it, it well it it's very different than the laboratory access. So this is something where you've got two phases of access and it might be a little confusing because we already talked about public access, but this is like a specifier can have public access that gives them a little bit more same information but easier d distribution of the information to them. So uh, if you're registered as a specifier through our system, which is free, you can sign up and you can monitor laboratories. Now, if you monitor these laboratories, that will mean that you get notified when they have a change to the accreditation director information, which is public information. And that's pretty much all that you get out of that. Otherwise, you're just like anybody else who isn't logged in. So you just know when things happen. Private access is a lot more interesting for you as a specifying agency or somebody's monitoring laboratories. And, and I also want to mention a specifier could be an agency. It could be a corporate quality manager or a regional manager who just wants to really keep tabs on what's going on at the individual labs. But we do ha have to get those specifiers registered through our system so that like we, we actually see who you are and we see the connections that you're making. Private access allows you to log in and access the AASHTO resource assessment reports and proficiency sample results. You know, you can also have the public notifications. You can get notified anytime a laboratory receives an assessment report, and you can also get notified anytime all the nonconformities have been resolved from an AASHTO resource assessment report. That is the most value as a specifier because it, it'll save you a lot of time uh, in tracking down information from individual labs, especially if you're overseeing a lot of laboratories. Similar question that I had regarding CCRL, do specifiers with private access only have access to when the nonconformities are resolved and they don't have access to any proficiency sample information unless an accreditation decision has been made on based on that? That's right. And they also don't have access to the individual decisions, like the accreditation decisions that say why, you know, they'll, they'll know the laboratory accreditation was suspended, but they might not know why without notifying the laboratory. I think that's probably something we would upgrade in a future iteration because that's a, that's a typical conversation that, that we get, especially from corporate managers where they just want to see that information so that they can then follow up with the individual lab. The reason we left it out, though, is because we thought that conversation between the specifying agency and the lab was a good thing to force instead of just having it kind of happen on its own. But I think it it seems that there's definitely an interest in having mm -hmm. that information easier to access before so that they can plan on the conversation they're going to have with the laboratory. As you were talking that through, I was like, ah, I don't know. I feel like you is if no matter why a laboratory gets suspended or revoked, the specifier should have a conversation, whether it's an unpaid invoice or whether it is a failure to resolve a nonconformity or something like that. So, but I do see there's value in that, but I do want to make sure that we point out with the specifier private access that that does require specific approval from the laboratory 
uh, and from their primary contact of the laboratory. That's, yeah, that's right. It's it's kind of like a social media friending process where you reach out to that laboratory and you say, I want private access. And they'll get a notification that says, this person wants private access. Do you want to give it to them? And if you ignore it or you say no, then they don't get it. Uh, if you say yes, then they do have it and you can revoke it at any time. So now the last couple of accesses, <laughs> the, the categories of access that we have in the policy is ASHTO staff access and we'll start with that one because there's another there's another one after that but okay well that one's easy we have everything we have access to everything because we need it to do our job so <laughs> so we yes. can see we can see it all now there is a little uh caveat because some of the stuff we also need requires permission from ccrl so national accreditation program accredits labs based on national resource and ccrl assessment and proficiency sample reports uh, so if you are working with CCRL and you want to get ASHTO accredited for the scopes of testing you perform through their, through their services, then you would have to sign a release form for them to give us access. Yes, and without that release form, you cannot be ASHTO accredited for those because of, right? That's right, because okay. we can't see it. <laughs> That's right. We can't see it. We can't do anything with it. Exactly. And as I was you. saying it, it was like, that's obvious. But then you had a pause and I was like, wait, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It, and it is obvious. But, it, but it's like, I feel like even when things are obvious, they, they need to be stated. There's always somebody that it's not obvious to, right? Yes. That's why I ask most of my questions. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'm that person. Oh, I'm often that So I that can person. relate. Yeah. I'm often <laughs> that person. So, all right. And then we do have... Another ASHTO kind of access to some information, and this, that's for the ASHTO Resource Administrative Task Group and Appeals Panel uh, access. So without going too into the weeds, what kind of information would those groups have access to and when? Just broadly, the, these are the groups that would be decision makers on anything that is not like your standard programmatic type activities. So if there was an appeal or if there was a issue we weren't really sure how to handle, we had to present it to the oversight committee, which is the ATG, and they need to see some privileged information to be able to make a complete decision on whatever that is. So the first level, we present the information, but we hide who the people at the laboratories are, just so we make sure that there isn't some sort of conflict of interest and that they can make an objective decision based on just the facts of the situation. When you get to the second level appeal process, you actually are having it like a, a hearing. So then mm. they have to know who it is because they're going to be meeting with the person. So at that point, we just kind of open it up and we let them see whatever it is because they need to know who they're going to be talking to anyway. And I, I don't think that they at that point where it's a second level appeal, that's a request made by the laboratory. And I think at that point, they really want the appeals panel to know who they are, too. To clarify even further, we would manually be giving this information. There's one ATG member that has login access, but their login is very limited to whatever we present to them. So they can't access laboratory account information unless they're also a specifier. But if they go in, we have an interface just for the ATG chair to make decisions. 
and we have a, an area where we would upload documents for them to review and and their view is just limited to that i just want to make that clarification as well even with the second level appeal it's not like they have like a master login and can access everything it's the information that we present to them or that the laboratory themselves present that's correct yeah they don't have staff level access at any point the next thing we're going to talk about is external assessment providers so right now we've got ccrl uh, that provides assessments we talked about them earlier they don't typically need information from our website but there are times when they might be curious about when an assessment is coming or you know are we overlapping so they can see some information or like one person typically looks at that their scheduling manager usually does have access to our website to see some of that information uh, but we also have uh, accreditation meetings where we invite a member of CCRL staff to participate in those meetings and we often discuss accreditation issues so they they're made aware of things and we often are soliciting their advice on technical issues in some of those questions some of those conversations so they would be able to see certain information that is a staff level in those discussions all right now what are some of the exceptions we've gone through all of the different levels of access and now we're part of the policy that talks about the exceptions to the rules because every rule has an exception so what are some of the exceptions? We have this caveat about, you know, we don't intentionally release assessment report information or proficiency sample report information or other private information. But if there's an issue with integrity, then that kind of goes out the window. So if we think that the there is a risk posed to the DOTs or other specifiers by this laboratory obtaining work, under false pretenses, we can communicate information to those entities. So let's say we found out that there was some widespread falsification going on, and we knew that that laboratory was working for this particular DOT, then we would, you know, we would have a duty to report that to them. So that would be one way that we have an exception. There are other more severe issues that could take place if we found out that there was actual fraud or or let's say that uh, we found out that there were illegal activities going on at the laboratory then we would have to report that as well so i'll give you an example if we were notified or, or an assessor walked in and found out that they were making drugs or 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 selling drugs at a laboratory then we would have to notify the police about that, right? So that that seems like an obvious thing that we would say, okay, well, you, we are we are not allowing you to have some sort of like privilege here to have us protect you from whatever you've been doing. So that was just a crazy scenario. I hope that that is not pulled from a real life example. <laughs> okay, your look says I don't want the answer to that question. Let's move on. So. Moving on from that, there is another uh, part of the legal exception is that if we are also subpoenaed for things, is that correct? We will do we will participate and give everything that we are able to for that. Yeah, and and that probably goes without saying. And and I think that was one of the things years ago we we had a similar statement that we were going to put in the procedures manual, and that was voted down at a committee level because they said you don't really have to say that because like the law prevails over your document anyway. So 
But I, I, my my point is, you know, if we know that to be true, we should just put it in here just so that everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're going to comply with a subpoena if we're given one about something that we have to do. Obviously, there, there are probably cases where we could get a solicitation from a lawyer that is not required to be adhered to. And then we yeah. have to figure out if we're going to. But if it was like a federal court ordered reason to submit information, then we would have to comply with it. And then the last exception listed on the policy is for unpaid invoices. If a laboratory has unpaid invoices that become delinquent, and that's not after like the first missed payment. It's We give you a while before uh, you have to do this, unfortunately, but then we will send the relevant billing information to a third-party debt collector agency. So that is some information um, if you have unpaid invoices. It, that's another one that's probably obvious. You know, if we if somebody is getting sent to collections, obviously we have to share that invoice with them and it includes private information about that laboratory. But yeah, we have we would have to share that in order for the debt to get collected. Anything else we didn't cover on this episode? I really wanted to make sure that it was clear to people that we do have this policy on our website. There probably could be some additions made to this and there may be in the future because it's it's a controlled document. It's a living document uh, subject to change in the future. But we do want to be as transparent as possible with our customers and the specifying agencies that use our services. So I don't have anything else for you. You don't have anything else for me. So I'm going to put in a little bit of a plug for our technical exchange that will be happening in March 2024. And if you want information about that, it'll be in the Boston area. You can go to our website, ashtoresource.org slash events. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' social media accounts or go to ashtoresource.org.